0: Hey, one more thing before you go. Have you ever asked yourself how disease might have come as a blessing instead of a curse? I ask myself that all the time. Want to know how to clean your body to become a clear channel to receive guidance, aka how to make faster, wiser decisions? Stay tuned, we're gonna talk to a holistic health practitioner who has been on her own journey of healing type one diabetes and found this methodology can help anyone with dis-ease. With the tools for personal development and spiritual growth, and more. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. Dr. Nikki Siso has a PhD in holistic health and nutrition and a master's in sustainability from Harvard. She's on a mission to support fellow diabetics and anyone with dis-ease, and we'll explain that as well. In seeing the condition as a blessing instead of a curse, she teaches the diet, lifestyle, and mindset needed to maintain balanced blood sugars and how to handle the triggers that lead to unhealthy coping mechanisms that raise blood sugars. She produced and produces and hosts the podcast, Legends, which we'll talk about here. Welcome to the show, Dr. Nikki.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you, Michael.
0: What an amazing journey from what I've learned about you, from where you've come from and where you're at now, and how you help so many other people uh, deal with a situation with their health that I think is uh, kind of widespread, that is not typical just of the United States, it's all over the world.
1: Yeah, it's all over the world, and something like 89 million diabetics in just America. So uh, that's one in almost three. Wild to think about. Yeah, that's about.
0: pretty wild as well. Yeah, my father, I mean, I, I'm i familiar with it from my stepfather had diabetes. And I used to remember at the breakfast table every morning, he had his like, you know, his insulin shot sitting on the, and as a, I was young, <laughs> so watching him stick himself in the belly all the time was kind of like, you know, remembered, it was embedded in my brain kind of a thing. But I started learning it at an early age, a little bit about diet from that perspective. And I know we're, we're going to talk about that but I'd love to start at the beginning. Can we do that? Sure. Where'd you grow up?
1: I was born and raised in England. And then my mother and I moved around quite a bit. We, I would I would say the average is about every two to three years as a child that we moved. We moved from England to, to New York and then back to England and then to Florida when I was nine. So I, I lost the accent as you can hear. Uh, but I moved around a lot and one part of that is good because I became very comfortable with being unstable in a way, right? The stability of being comfortable in change was implanted in me. And uh, it created an interesting dynamic for me of, of, of always being the new girl. I always had to work hard to fit in and uh, get people to like me <laughs> right, right away. I was always the new girl. So I, I learned how to break the ice very quickly. So it actually implanted a lot of uh, healthy techniques for me to use later on in life, which is now what I use a lot of my podcasts is breaking the ice with people and getting in and getting going really deep very quickly with people. So it's, it's, it ended up being in service. And I moved around my whole life. I continued that, that flow. Um, my average now is about a year and a half. Uh, so I, I've had a very rich, exciting life.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, I think I read in some of your bio information that uh, you you've got sixty four countries on your belt. Yes, yeah, I, yeah that's quite. That's that's it's cool. Actually, it's crazy cool that you were able to go to sixty four different countries, the different societies and cultures that you got to live in and learn and kind of mingle with. I think uh, I think it helps you helps uh, anybody that does that with a more diverse picture of a uh, of food. For example in how they manage their health, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, there are so many ways to live. and We we get to choose how uh, we want to experience this lifetime.
0: Yeah, it's pretty slick. Um, Do you have any brothers, sisters?
1: No, just me.
0: Just you. This works. Um, I know your mother, if I may say this, your mother was the eighth child of a Holocaust survivor. Yes. How did that affect you guys as you grew up?
1: Yeah, she didn't get her needs met as a child, right? So she had a lot of anger in her, a lot of uh, mistrust, uh, the world is out to get her kind of sensation. And she brought that filter with her wherever we went, if we're at the, the grocery store and, or someone's she's negotiating with at work or it created these dynamics where she expected to be taken advantage of or and she's very quick to anger and being the only child with no not often having a father around i absorbed a lot of that now in her complete defense that was not what she intended she couldn't have loved me more gave me an incredible childhood i got to go to private schools and boarding school in switzerland and she did everything she could to have given me a different childhood than what she had and the way she was projecting her pain, uh, I observed. Right? I, I, I experienced, and I, I ended up being hyper vigilant to first of all make sure that her needs are met, so that she doesn't go into trigger state, and that everyone else's needs around her are are being taken care of as well, because she, you know they could she could trigger them, and so I, I became very uh, aware of everyone else's experience and what i later in life realized is that i, I don't take care as well of my own needs i'm taking care of everyone else's first and 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 i learned not, not to express my needs as well because it might lead to a trigger it might lead to an explosion so i suppressed a lot and so that's a lot of the the, the work that i've had to do is is to uncover what that first of all to pour her pain out of my heart because i, I literally absorbed her pain and also to learn how to uh, put myself first sometimes. I was called selfish if I did that, right? And I was told to stop crying or I'll give you a reason to cry when I was crying. So my emotions weren't always welcome. And they, 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 they resulted in my mother pulling back her love, not out of maliciousness, but she wanted to like not advocate for quote unquote bad behavior, but, I was expressing my emotions and they, the, the reaction I got was love guts pulled away. So don't express yourself. It's not safe. Right. And a lot of these programs that we then adopt and the the belief systems that we then imprint in our subconscious of how to operate in order to stay safe. And these are the things that then lead to dis-ease in the body. Because if I can't Express myself, right? Uh, then I'm suppressing, and I, I'm I'm holding on to resentment in my body, and that, that energy gets locked in my body, and then it, the body can't function as well. And if I'm if I'm being a harsh inner critic, she was very critical. She was always like making sure I did things her way. Again, not out of maliciousness because she thought she found the best way, and so she was trying to support and guide and right. Uh, but what happened is that I developed a very harsh inner critic myself. And so if I'm attacking myself in my brain, in my mind, then my body will also start attacking itself. And that's why that's one of the emotional components of an autoimmune disease is the body is, uh, is attacking itself. My immune system attacked my pancreas cells. It's interesting when you start to make these links of how, how we treat ourselves mentally and how the body then responds. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. I grew up in a dysfunctional family myself. I had two alcoholic parents, so I'm, I understand your journey to a perspective because both of them, I didn't realize the trauma that they had brought with them from their past lives. And um, I learned a new word a couple of years ago called intergenerational trauma, and how that's passed down from generation to generation. And once I started understanding that myself, I can attest to to what what you went through and are going through at times. Because I've learned to do that myself. I think that um, uh, I, it was brought to my attention because of my autoimmune disease. I like what you said about the fact that it can reflect into disease. whether wh- No matter what it happens to be, yours chose the pancreas. Mine manifested itself in rheumatoid arthritis. And I found that when I get angry, um, when I get depressed, I have flares. Wow. Mm-hmm. That kind of a thing. It so
1: where does it hurt most?
0: Well, I I have what they call uh, polyarthritis if you're familiar with that. So some days it'll be my right side, some days it'll be my left side, but mostly in my hands at the moment. My hands, my wrist, um, are the ones that have the majority of the pain in my elbows. Hands, wrist and elbows.
1: So energetically this might be very woo-woo for some, but it's fun to explore. Energetically, this is, your hands are receiving. This is like giving and receiving, right? So could you, mm-hmm. is there a, a complex with receiving love?
0: I, I I grew up with the same type of a mother. She was a single mother. My father died, at, and when uh, he was very young, I was very young. Uh, we had a, a younger brother and an older sister. My older sister had moved out. She was the same way. My wife can tell you. I would walk up to give my mother a hug, and... She wouldn't even wrap her arms around me. So it was kind of one of those things where she'd go, love you, but only when it fit her need. And again, I understand where where her, it took me a long time, it took me 50 years to really understand this, where her pain was coming from and what she was hiding and, and her seeking love that wasn't being fulfilled. Same, same kind of instance. And if she was reflecting that on me, and then the fact that I was the firstborn male. So, because my father was an alcoholic and died at thirty-nine, she was mad about that. So that got reflected back, and no matter what I could, what, what I would do, I never got the approval I was looking for. Mm. You know, it that. So I understand. I understand that journey yeah. to a perspective because. It, I have learned to understand how it, how it reflects upon the way my body reacts.
1: Yeah. And
0: yeah. if I start having conversations about, like, my mother and my father, and, and, and not in the Dr. Sigmund Freud manner, but, you know, and, but in reality, we had a very tumultuous relationship, and it, it contributed, I think, to my stress and my ability to manage that stress. You know, to a certain perspective, so there are times that we'll start talking about it, and say, I don't want to talk about her and because of that. Just to validate some of what you're saying from from another perspective, it absolutely I believe that that it has an effect on us, and it does it so in a, in the form of manifesting a disease of this type.
1: Yeah, I like to say that every one of us if we look at our lineage our grandparents great grandparents someone along the line went through a holocaust a famine slavery uh, you know genocide somewhere in the is is this atrocity and then our brains imprint it because it gets passed down in childhood from 0 to 7 you're not you're not really giving much you're you're absorbing your parents way of operating in the world and so you're absorbing that that trauma in a way it's i'm sad to say this but it's almost like a faulty system as genius as we are we're imprinting ways of being that we wouldn't choose as an adult and then we have this lifelong kind of work of rewiring how we actually want to show up and what are the beliefs we actually want to adopt and that's part of the work of healing the ancestral mm. trauma, I call it. Um, and that's part of the journey of being human maybe is But the blessing there is that the, I find that the people that have had the most trauma are the ones that, have, and the ones that have done the work to overcome it are the stronger, more vibrant, more resilient beings on this planet. The ones that had zero trauma whatsoever in their childhood—they're rare, uh, but they're also very like. There's almost no emotional experience of like, it. It's so even keeled that I, I don't know there, there's there there it's it's missing something. Yeah. So you can use it as your fuel, is my point, and that, that's the blessing that I found with diabetes and. You, you pointed on something really important because I, I talk about type ones because that's my journey. But type two diabetics, they're using food as their coping mechanism. So it's the same concept of like dealing with stress and these inner beliefs and these dialogues within our brain that are not in service. And how do the how do they respond to life's challenges? And what are the what's the inner dialogue saying? Either. Everything they experience is an indication of them not being good enough somehow, right? Not, not good enough to receive love, not good enough to feel worthy, not, right? There's so that we can create a long list of how we're not good enough. And I'll, I'll go back a little bit because um, I learned this at the Hoffman Institute. It was really potent and supportive. From zero to seven, you need all of your needs met by someone else all of it. If you're cold, you need someone else to get you a blankie. You can't even pick up your head, right? Especially as an infant, excuse me. Um, and then as you grow, what happens is your brain actually interprets it's designed to interpret everything as take, you take everything personally. So if I don't get my needs met, it means I'm not good enough to get my needs met. And then the brain seeks evidence of your beliefs to confirm that they're true. And so you start going through life, looking for how I'm somehow not good enough to get my needs met. And so this is the the faulty wiring that I'm talking about is that we, we create this, literally this program, like a software program that is searching for evidence of how we're somehow not good enough in this world. And imagine then the coping mechanisms that you also probably learned from your parents of numbing out with alcohol, right, or eating, foods, comfort foods, uh, marijuana, whatever the numbing out agents are, maybe it's just rage and like trying to push everyone away and get everyone out of your life to protect yourself and cutting people off. That was my family's great technique. We just cut people off as soon as you get hurt.
0: <laughs> did, did, done, been never done that.
1: Yeah. So these coping mechanisms, what I now have realized with diabetes, diabetes has actually come to serve me as an emotional intelligence training tool, because how I respond to a high blood sugar will lead to coping mechanisms that don't do or don't serve me. So if I look at a blood, high blood sugars, I can think, wow, uh, yet again, no matter what I do is not good enough because I'm I have a PhD in holistic health and nutrition. I eat very well. Like I snack on kale chips, and red peppers, right? Um, and my blood sugars still go up. Your cucumbers can make your blood sugars go up. It's, it's a virtually impossible disease. I will say it is impossible to keep your blood sugars in perfect ranges at all times as a type one diabetic. It, even the top, top, top performing, if you will, diabetics, maybe get 92% in range. That means 8% of the day, they're out of range. They're in unhealthy ranges for their body how they respond in those times most people by the way are somewhere between 30 and 70 percent of the day out of range so how you respond to wow i yet again i failed at controlling my willpower then that leads to okay well if no matter what i do is not gonna be good enough give me the cookie right and then it could be a downward spiral very quickly of like you're not in control so Feed me. I'm going to do what I want. Or uh, if you're, you lose your patience with your kids, for example, and then you get mad at yourself that you're not a good enough parent, right? And then you you turn to alcohol, which skyrockets your blood sugars. So it, it all plays in. And so if you, it, what I teach now is how to see diabetes as a tool. So when when you do have a high blood sugar, what is the response instead? It would be to tune in. Be like, oh, okay, what do I actually need right now in order to feel loved and, and satiate this craving for sweets when I'm not actually hungry? There's no physical hunger, but I'm craving sweet the sweetness of life or I'm craving mm-hmm. some love. How can I give myself some self-love? Maybe I need a walk in nature. Maybe I need to call a friend. Like there are so many other coping mechanisms other than these like unhealthy things that are skyrocket your blood sugar.
0: Well, that it's an amazing opportunity for us to understand how that affects us—the diet that affects us, the anger affects us, the depression affects us, the frustration can affect us. Um, and, and obviously, today's society and culture—we both know that, you know, um, the the uh, I won't say addictive personalities, but the the opportunity for us to eat unhealthy is very prevalent. It's in. It's there in fast food. It's there at the grocery store. It's there. People don't read labels, you know. Oh, unless that's... you have a disease of mm-hmm. some type, or an autoimmune disease, or diabetes, or rheumatoid, you, they, people don't read labels. Yeah. And and I think that um, that doesn't help either. On top of the external circumstances, my hands are moving, but you can't see them. External circumstances that are out there as well that are contributing to this. Can you help us, you mentioned type one and type two diabetes. Uh, my sister is pre-diabetic. My brother, his a- A1C, that's called A1C, at one point was like 1-5. They wanted to put him in the hospital to kind of bring it down. Um, can you help us understand a little bit the difference between diabetes, uh, type one and type two and what A1C Um, is part of that?
1: Yeah. So type 1s, they say, is genetic. And what the research I've done, there are seven seven causes that can lead to type 1 diabetes. Real quick, I'll go over adverse childhood experiences. There are eight of those. You can Google those ACEs. Um, That often leads to alcohol use, which will kill off your gut microbiome. And leads to uh, type 1 diabetes, mold exposure, antibiotics use, milk and wheat, both have gliadin, and or excuse me, wheat has gliadin, milk has casein, both of those are proteins that will attach to your beta pancreas cells that produce insulin, tag them as the enemy, and your immune system will come in and take those cells out, so you kill off all the cells in your pancreas that produce insulin. And then the last one is a missing father, energetically. So uh, those are some of the causes that I've researched on type one diabetes, but they say it's genetic. It, it, those, those causes are what kind of fill your cup that then make your body ultimately break down on the weakest link of your genes, which might be the diabetes in this case. Uh, that's often developed at four years old, but in my case, I got it at 29. So there, are, there is a late onset onset diabetes and then type twos is 100% lifestyle. It's incredibly easy to reverse. It does require changing your diet and your lifestyle, which might be the challenging part, but what you'll find is that you feel so energized and, and happy and there, your life will change when you start eating super healthy foods and you exercise and you just feel so good, that becomes the addiction and so it's very easy to shift and and especially if you're pre-diabetic that's your chance don't wait for a diagnosis that is your diagnosis pre-diabetes is your diagnosis so it's your wake-up call that you need to make some changes because your body's really struggling with the way that you're operating
0: Yeah. that now type one would require insulin yes As oh, in insulin yes. shots or pills or whatever right. format that it comes with and then type two can be managed more with diet and so forth how does the a1 a1C play factor?
1: A1C is the measurement of your average uh, blood sugars over a course of three months. What it does is it take, looks at the red blood cells and there's actually a, a coating of sugar that will happen around the cells from having higher blood sugars. And based on the thickness of that coating is what your A1C number is.
0: That's really interesting. You know, I found that even with my rheumatoid arthritis, um, I've eliminated sugar from my diets other than fruit and you know natural sugars type thing. If I introduce any type of um, cane sugar or white sugar or processed sugar or you know something along that line, uh, I have a major flare that comes yeah. and hits me. Um, so I think that you know even uh, outside of diabetes, uh, sugar I think is a kind of a a villain. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the the cane sugars, and especially in baked goods, will make my sugars skyrocket, skyrocket. And it, it does, it's inflammatory. That's why you're struggling. Uh, yeah. For rheumatoid arthritis, I understand that it's sugar, wheat, and dairy are the yeah. three most inflammatory things. That if you can get those three out of your diet, you, you should have a much better time.
0: 100%. Um, I, I've eliminated wheat, dairy, corn. I did this 20... 20- 24 years ago, when I first was diagnosed with this, I started eliminating that from those things from my diet. My doctor at that time is a rheumatologist. He said, no, there's no scientific proof to that. I said, but I feel better. He said, okay, well, if you feel better, do it. But there's no scientific proof to it. I mean, he reemphasized that. Um, but it changed my life. It kept me on a path of, of managing my disease at a point where I'm not having to put... Uh, you know, Humira and Enbrel and, you know, uh, I can't remember the other one, um, they're nasty to be put into your system. They're almost like chemotherapy drugs. The Humira, every time I was getting a Humira shot, thought it would burn and I'd get a rash and I'd get sick and I'd be in bed for a couple of days. Same thing, Enbrel, He couldn't take it because it uh, was poison.
1: Yeah, that's a sign of toxicity. If your body is puking or exhausted, right? That's a sign that you've toxified your body. It's not healthy for you.
0: Yeah, Nasty stuff. And I mean, that goes across the board, even for, if you can manage diabetes with, with tools in place to help you to understand how to manage your lifestyle from that perspective, you know, it, it is a tough change, but there's a lot of new things out there for people. There's even gluten-free, there's a lot of gluten-free options that when I first started gluten-free, Somebody give me something gluten free, and it was like cardboard, <laughs> no flavor, no nothing. But they've got so many things now that are available, uh, gluten free, that it allows you to be able to enjoy what everybody else is enjoying. Yeah. You know, from yeah. that perspective. Um, you yourself, I know that you, uh, in in, uh, you grew up in an environment where obviously you had to learn to come out of there to manage yourself. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry
1: it's
0: okay um, I know in your notes on your website it says the first half of my life I parted hard I just wanted to dance and free free yourself from your inner critic um, I kind of been there too from that perspective how, how did you manage to kind of recognize what you were doing and how it was affecting your health and, and what steps did you take to maybe move move forward into what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, interesting enough, I, I hired a success coach. I was living in Aspen, and I wanted to figure out what my next venture would be. And he saw a twinkle in my eye when I said, I, I want to be the next Larry King live. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to interview all the health and wellness experts in the Valley. So the very next day, it, like it, that just hit me really strong. I started Aspen Talks Health and I started doing that. I started interviewing as many health experts as I could find. And then one Saturday night I went out and I I think I drank quite a bit. And We were recording on Sunday and I could not remember my guest's name and I had a really hard time listening to what they were saying and at the same time formulating a question. Like my brain was just so foggy and it hit me right then and there that if I want to serve my purpose of elevating consciousness and, and serving humanity, this drinking is actually not working for me. And and it was finding my purpose that led me to wanting to treat my body and my brain with greater respect. Fascinating. Yeah. It, so it, I, it is,
0: actually. I think that finding our purpose in life, even if it gets changed midlife or... I I won't say necessarily midlife at any point in your life that it changes. Finding our purpose and our true purpose helps us to become better people yeah. and, 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 and help those of us around us. So it's brilliant that you recognize that at that time.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and it could be your purpose could be raising your children well, right? Yeah. It can be showing up as the best version of you. It doesn't have to be changing the world. Uh, but how how do you want to show up every day? And if it's numbed out and checked out, it, it, you're not. You, you've got one life to live. Like I, I would, I would hope that you choose to be present and and really uh, optimizing your your this vessel. I mean, we are magnificent beings, capable of really cool things. <laughs> if you if you get out of your own way and allow it.
0: I agree with that. And, and and unfortunately, life can change in an instant. Yeah. So it's valuable, the time that you have here, and you got to make the best, like you said, make the best use of it because you never know what's around the corner. I mean, As a police officer, I can attest to that fact. Life can change in an instant. There were too many people that walked out the door and, and never walked back in, and I had to deliver a message that they weren't coming home. So, you know, it's... Ooh. Yeah, so it can change in an instant. What you have on this... One more thing before you go, it's all about understanding purpose, and that we we have an opportunity to say what we want, have an opportunity to enjoy life, have an opportunity to tell the people we love them that we that we loved, I'm proud of them, and have an opportunity to enjoy while we're here. We just have to open our eyes and grasp it. Beautiful. In that perspective, um, so you you went on as kind of did you go on like a spiritual journey? How how did you?
1: i quit cold turkey i i won, turkey. i all i didn't touch any alcohol for four months i even had really fun party friends come the next weekend to visit in aspen and i stayed sober and i, I got a glass of champagne so I, a champagne glass i put soda water and lime juice so it looked like i was toasting and i was part of the celebration but i wasn't getting drunk and it worked like magic i didn't feel like i was missing out in fact they all needed to go home sooner than i needed to because i was having fun and they got too drunk <laughs> so <laughs> i learned how Don't. it mm-hmm. actually came blessing and, and what happens when you stop drinking is that you stop doing some of the things that you thought were so great before and i i didn't want to hang out in a bar anymore and and instead i I'd, I'd get on bed or, or at eight o'clock and i'd start reading a book and educating myself and learning and growing and this it opened up this whole world to me of expansion and exploration that before i was just focused on kind of being free and freeing my my mind from hypercriticism and instead i was like no no, i don't have to be so hypercritical and that i did the, the steps there that required a lot of work my favorite modality is is breathwork but i've tried I went to retreats around the world. I've spent the last 10 years and almost a million dollars on retreats and workshops and shamans and plant medicine and you name it. I've I've done it to to support myself in healing my body. And the result is that I'm the most patient balanced aware version of myself. It takes a lot to trigger me now i i see everything with so much more grace and compassion and love and i have calmed my nervous system so much so that now my blood sugars represent it too right that i stay much better in in range because i'm not getting triggered i'm not getting into this fight or flight mode from all the little things that happen throughout the day so it takes a lot of work of of healing of the, of the, the energetic work is But my favorite, honestly, is uh, breathwork. If you haven't heard of holotropic breathwork, it's a three-part breath, or into your stomach, into your chest, exhale. And you do that kind of rapidly for 45 minutes. Very important to do it guided. And you can do it, you'll find a class, their classes are being offered all over the place, but you can also do it online, breathworkonline.com. They have a fabulous program, uh, and it will get you into your subconscious like ayahuasca does so the the compound in ayahuasca that supports in getting you there is called dmt Uh, and our brain actually produces dmt it's what gets released right before we pass away and you'll have a flashback of all of your life and you can produce dmt when you do this series of deep breathing techniques and what happens is you'll you'll get thrown into your subconscious and get put where some part of your childhood or past that wasn't resolved and you get to see it as an adult and you're not reliving it it's not this like anxious crazy horrible experience you got you get to actually see it kind of from above and witness it and see and and get a completely new perspective on that experience because as a six-year-old little girl right or a little boy you had one frame of reference of like, oh my God, no matter what I do is not good enough, I'm not good enough, right? You have this, this this programming working for you. But as an adult, you get to look back and be like, oh no, 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 that's not what your mom or dad intended. And you can reframe. And when you reframe these older beliefs, it's like a domino effect. All of the other beliefs, all the other evidence your brain collected over the years of how you're somehow not good enough, knock over. And you can step into this more empowered version of yourself because you realize none of that was true. It's all stories we made up. Stories I made up in my head that aren't, weren't ever serving. They served maybe in the, in the childhood to protect me, to keep me playing safe and small. Like you play safe and small, you don't get hurt. But as an adult, you wanna play big and make a difference in the world. Well, you gotta get rid of this coping mechanism. You gotta rewire it. And, and choose a more empowered state version of you so that you can show up and serve your purpose and serve your children and stay patient and loving and grounded and uh, and empowered by your magnificence.
0: What an amazing opportunity for someone to take a reflection back on their life safely and to really kind of get a better look from from the outside in you know it's, uh, I'm excited to look that up and try that actually from my yeah. own perspective um, I, powerful. Breathwork.com. I yeah, I'm going to have to do that. I'll have to do that part, maybe tomorrow. I'll try doing that. I gave a couple more interviews today, so i have to do it tomorrow. Um, I don't want to go into another interview, and I've got all these revelations, and I'm crying. And <laughs> <Sweet>. <laughs> um, But yeah, that sounds like an amazing opportunity for someone to uh, really go back and kind of check things out from that perspective. I, when I was a, uh, on the job in, as a cop, as a police officer, uh, I was an investigative hypnotist. And uh, the principle behind uh, taking people back, um, to, uh, they were either victims or witnesses, the majority were victims, uh, to situations that were so traumatic that they blocked things out. The principle, just to, to kind of put it from another perspective so that people can also understand, um, we put them as an individual sitting in a chair. Uh, at Back that time, we had VCRs. So we used a VCR. And the VCR was you can play it, Stop it. Fast forward. Back it up. Pause it. Whatever the case may be, so you can see how safe you were and reevaluate what you were looking at at that time and understand it's not going to hurt you. So mm-hmm. the breath work sounds like an amazing opportunity for us to really reach down within ourselves and get a little deeper even than that. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank um, you. Yeah. <coughs> excuse me. So when once you got into a point where you had learned so much and, and, I mean, that's a lot of money and effort and time to put into, you know, coming to a point in life where you can now help other individuals reach a point in their life that, that they can be helped. Because I think we all, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the majority of us, sometimes we're afraid to ask for help. Huge i right. think it ask for help but it, it's just as simple as as taking the first step right
1: yeah and diabetes is very much a, a disease you kind of handle on your own you don't get much guidance I didn't get guidance from the doctors I had to learn which foods how much insulin i needed per bite it, it was all a self-learning process oh. uh, they, they teach you how to count carbs but I shop at the farmers market I don't i don't Buy things often in boxes that give me the carb count, and that's not how I operate anyway. I don't. I, I'm not that calculated, and so. But what I've I've learned is that doing it on it even it's, even more so than that, it's it's so shamed. I'm like ashamed of having diabetes. Most of my friends have never seen me take an injection, and I'm taking eight to ten a day.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. So it, it's just like I, I don't want to show how I'm faulty, you know, or mm-hmm. defective, or right. There's there's shame around disease, and so we go through these things very much by ourselves, and we don't share the the journey, the hardship. We don't want to be a burden on people. There's yeah. all these like subconscious things that will make us feel like we don't want to be too much, and and so what I I love to invite diabetics and anyone really struggling with the diseases to to ask for support because it, it will make it so much easier on you if you have support and camaraderie and other people going through the same thing, a coach guiding you so that you stay on track and you don't allow these downward spirals of thoughts that will really take you down that, again, lead to really unhealthy coping mechanisms. So it's really important to ask for support. and guaranteed guaranteed it will make your life better always we are we are uh-huh. a community breed right we, we we thrive our health is dependent on feeling supported and loved in a community
0: I agree with that you know it, it we watched it my wife and I watched this really interesting uh, documentary on Netflix um and I was, don't know if I'm pronouncing Dan bowler's name correctly or not but it was um the the blue zones
1: mm, yeah and
0: it's an amazing documentary talking about the mind, body, soul connection, talking about the, the what you found. I, everything you just said to me, you got in a, a brilliant connection between mind, body and soul, and understand how all of that works in conjunction with each other. That you know your mind, your body, and your soul have to talk to each other and come to a consensus that yes, we're going to do this and yes you can do this, give you the confidence, the strength, the courage. To be able to do what you're doing, what you're about to, uh, you know, embark upon, whether it's diabetes or whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or whether it's MS or whatever you're going through, you need to adopt that kind of thought process, I believe, and get a better understanding of that connection. But the the one thing that really stuck out in our in our minds in regard to that was watching the people in Okinawa, Japan, and they had these little. I don't know if you've seen the documentary or not, but the he had this... We talked first about the food and how how they eat, how they get it, they farm it, they bring it in, and then how they enjoy the food. It, it, it's not scarfed, it's, it's... I'm an old guy, still used scarf from way back. <laughs> it's enjoy the food, enjoy the people, have conversations. And then it was taking care of the community. So when somebody passed away, he followed these group of older women and men that, fought, that went around to the people's houses where somebody had passed so that they weren't alone. And they helped them to clean and they had sat and talked with them and they had tea and they had lunch or whatever the case may be so that it, they weren't forgotten and that they felt part of somebody still. And they showed the importance of community and that we're all community that we're all from the same source and that we need to take care of ourselves as well as those around us so what you at least what you just said to me i think emphasizes what i watched on that program is that you know we need to make sure that you know we are supported by community
1: yeah it's so important i will say so I, so I, I like i mentioned in the beginning i've lived around the world. And I've never experienced this level of support and love and community like I have in Austin now. And it has elevated me into my highest version. I'm, I'm able to step into a leader here and, and I'm allowed to be big and bold. It's celebrated here because the community wants to see it and they're uplifting me. It, it's the most empowering thing and loving thing you can have is a supportive community.
0: I agree it's with so- that. I agree with that. Even through my journey, you know, my, uh, my listeners and viewers have heard this story before, but, you know, I, I did spend four years in a wheelchair and um, I felt I was angry, I was depressed, I was resentful, I was, uh, you name it, I, that's what I was. I sat there, felt sorry for myself. I'd gone from 100, 175 pounds to 100 pounds. You know, it, it was not good. I shut everybody out. So I, the the importance of not shutting everybody out like you had mentioned earlier is really a fact that the importance of being able to open up and accept people to come in and help you. My oldest daughter asked me what, I said, what do you want for your wedding uh, present? And she put, I still tear up, she put her hands on the arms of my wheelchair, she looked me square in the face and she said, I want you to walk me down the aisle. Mm-hmm. And that, she, you know, <laughs> It see I still get emotional.
1: <laughs>
0: it it allowed me to recognize that I wasn't I didn't want to be a burden. You mentioned this, this what brought this back as you were talking about this. We don't want to be a burden to those around us. We don't want to be a burden to those that we love. We we don't want to be embarrassed by the fact that my wife had to, you know, help me in in into the bathroom and, and get out of the bathroom or wash my hair when I needed to take a shower. She had to help me in that. It, it, it's humbling it, and it's embarrassing but it took me a long time to understand that even if you look around you, you have community. In the community, you just, have to, you just have to look. You just have to open your eyes and look at those around you that are part of your community and just ask because there's people waiting there. There are people waiting there that want to help you. It's true. So
1: it's true. I don't want anyone to go through the last sixteen years I did completely alone.
0: Yeah. That? And that's not good. Yeah. Not when you have opportunity. Opportunity is is opportunity is golden.
1: <laughs> yeah. <gasps> I didn't know you were gonna make me cry, Michael. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm wiping tears. I'm wiping tears myself. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And it's a journey. It's, you know, they've been with me every step of the way my family, my wife, my kids, my sister, my brother in law, my colleagues, my friends. And, you know, until you open your eyes and understand that you do have that community and there is support for you, there is an amazing feeling to get that support and to understand that you aren't a burden. They're there because they want to be. So, you know, just you got to look for it. That's all. Yeah. Um, at what point in, in time did you kind of kind of come to where you say like, I want to take what I've learned, everything that I've done, all these countries that I have, these societies, these cultures, these practices, everything that I've done, I want to bring together, and I want to start helping others with helping you know through them through their journeys.
1: Mm-hmm. It's actually been quite recent uh, that I've shifted to wanting to support diabetics in a strong way. I, I realize that there are very few doctors out there that have actually have diabetes. So a lot of endocrinologists don't actually have the disease. They don't know the journey. They they can support with the medications and they can support with some nutrition coaching, more like carb counting. Uh, but they don't know the mindset version. They don't they don't understand that i can teach someone what to eat all day long but when they're triggered it's they're not turning to healthy food to cope and so there's a big component not being taught and it's the most important part i think and and then it's with that in mind you can then again shift to seeing this as a blessing uh so i've been supporting people dabbling here and there for for the last four years just sharing some insights on instagram and TikTok, but um i it's only been in the last uh, few months that i've, I've really honed in on um, wanting to support diabetics in this journey and creating this opening for them to see it as a blessing
0: so did you i know you have a podcast called legends um yeah. it's an amazing podcast i've listened to it you know several episodes my in fact, my wife's got a few in her uh, queue for spotify um so you can just run apple and spotify whoever out there's listening um, but listen to this one first, please. <laughs> um, but you have an amazing guest on there. Um, what was your, your um, uh, inspiration for, for this particular podcast? What do you do? And, and kind of, I, I, I could try to explain it, but you really empower people within this with knowledge and you kind of uh, educate people and you inspire people and, and so forth. Can you tell me about how? Let me try that in English. Can we talk about that?
1: (laughs) Sure. So legends, I I basically, I interview legends, right? I I find amazing humans. I'm very blessed to, well, I I take advantage of life. So I go to three to five events a week. So I'm always meeting incredible people. And then I bring them on the show and I like to dig in their brain and get juicy nuggets of wisdom on how they stepped into their highest version. So that's what the show is all about. What, What was their journey to 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 shining, to allowing themselves to play a bigger game and to what are the techniques and tools and all the different things that they, modalities that they may use and now are using in service of their clients so that they can use this lifetime in, in the greatest service. And that, that's my big thing is how do I use all of my unique talents in service of the greater good? And that's always been my driving force, and 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 that's what most of my guests are like that. And it's very broad. In one morning, I interviewed a shaman that served ayahuasca to presidents. To the second interview was an AI expert on how to use AI to uh, build a coaching business, right? And so you can share your message and uh, create more of an impact using AI, and it's phenomenal tools. You can do all sorts of market research with it. And then the third person was a tantra coach all about intimacy and connection and how to relate to your partner and so it's very much across the board with the overarching umbrella of like how do we use this life to shine our brightest and and have the best life experience that we can
0: that's an amazing that's a and and, and we align a lot believe it or not this podcast one more thing before you go was also inspired by my oldest daughter um, and it is an opportunity to, to do the same thing inspire, motivate, and educate, is how we try to bring people like you on here that have such a, a journey that contributes to society in such a positive way and manner that you elevate people to a different level, which I'm grateful. So, again, you know, thank you. I'm, I'm not done yet, but thank you very much, still, again, for being here. Um, we, um, b- with your with what you're doing now to help people in regard to um, uh, like managing the diabetes and managing, you know, if they've got it, as you said, or any dis-ease when I, when I, and I just to let everybody know out there, when I say dis-ease um, I've used that terminology in the past, but you, you have it in your notes as well. D I S with a dash ease, because I think that um, we, well, how about, can you explain that? I think you probably yeah. would explain it better than I explained it. I understand it because, because of conversations, but can you help us all understand what dis-ease is when we're dealing with something like this?
1: Yeah, disease, as it's usually spelled, has a has a connotation of, of, of flawed almost. There's a I don't know if that's the right word, but. Disease, like there is, it, it feels gross. It doesn't feel right. But what the truth of dis ease is that there's dise- dis ease in the body. And so the body's not operating optimally, and you've created a state of dis ease. And what that does is when you separate those two words, you actually become more empowered because you have the opportunity to create ease in your body. It's often related to detoxifying, because we're, we're so bombarded by toxins in our world now. Uh, they come in, there are 100,000 chemicals that the EPA has approved. Many of them are being used in our foods, so we're directly absorbing them, or we're lathering our skin, spraying our hair, cleaning our houses with, so we're breathing it in. Their toxicity comes in in many ways and creates dis-ease, or it's food-based, like you were stating earlier, inflammatory style foods, or they're actually adding chemicals or or addictive style chemicals into our foods to create the the addiction. Uh, And then preservatives that are used to have food stay on the shelf for two years. Oh, so there's many things in our our world that create a state of dis-ease. And and that's not even mentioning the mental side, right? Where we're creating our own state of dis-ease with our thoughts. So when you when you see dis ease that way, you I I like to see it that way because then there's there's an opportunity for me to create a change and create create the ease that I'm desiring, and you can do that. The body is designed to heal; it wants to show up optimally. We're constantly healing. That's what the body does. It heals broken cells. It repairs. It's always it's always replenishing. That's what it, that's what it does. And so we just have to support it with getting the toxicity out and putting the proper nutrition in and then supporting our mindset and our mental thoughts those three areas will make a massive impact and you'll move from disease to a state of ease
0: Yeah, would brilliant it just he did so much better than i would have uh-huh. <laughs> i could just say hey it works <laughs> um yeah it's is interesting how um in understanding what you just said, it sounds to me like a lot of um, the root causes of disease or uh, just about everything that you just said. It comes from the food. It comes from the the stuff they put in the food, which you know, if anybody's out there watching, you should watch a documentary called uh, Poisoned. yeah, it's it's I think it's on prime. It might be on Prime or Netflix, but it's called Poisoned. And it really goes behind the scenes and in depth with, the, the food and what they're putting into it, why they're putting into it, why they're getting approved, and oh it's just bizarre what people put it. Eat organic. <laughs> you know what and and eat clean. Eat you know, box canned food, box food, canned food, that kind of stuff. I don't eat I don't eat box food. I don't eat canned food. And my body reacts better for me. Yeah.
1: I'm We're designed sure eat what grows out of the land, right? We're, we're, this is it's why we have hands that pick fruits and vegetables. We, we are designed to consume the, the products that are, are natural to this environment. And if they've been processed and chemically treated and all that, if, if they have preservatives, imagine. So things that are sitting on a shelf for two to three years have been designed so that nothing in nature will break it down. You put an apple on your shelf, it will break down eventually Na- nature naturally has this mm. right decomposing part of it and so if if it's not breaking down <laughs> that means it's designed for nothing in nature bacteria in other words to break it down well our guts are full of bacteria that's how we break down food mm. so we're eating foods that have been designed for bacteria to not break it down of course we're still hungry we're not getting nutrition the right, so yeah. farmers market is my trick. Farmers market.
0: Yes, yeah. farmers market where you need to go. Do you think with that with changing your diet and understanding the root causes of so many things including mentally past trauma, you know, diet change and things like that that we can reverse the type 2 or manage the type 1 diabetes? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, type 2,
1: uh, very quickly within a few weeks can can shift their it di- can shift their condition
0: now what's the difference between type 2 and pre-diabetic
1: so pre-diabetics their a1 Cs aren't uh, higher so once you passed I, I don't know remember the exact number I think it's six five but if pa- five okay I just if had mine done five okay if you're past that mark then they will diagnose you with t- with, with diabetes if you're very close to that mark they'll say you're pre-diabetic you're yeah. getting close. So your, your, your sugars, your blood cells are showing that there's more sugar on there than it should have.
0: I that's it's interesting. Um, do you have any mm-hmm. tips or what is the first step somebody should take, uh, if they feel that they might be pre-diabetic or diabetic or, um, signs and symptoms or something that would indicate that they need to go have something checked?
1: Yeah. So exhaustion is the first one. If you're feeling tired or lethargic, especially after you're eating, you're not eating the right things. That's number one. And I experienced that right before I, about two weeks before I got diagnosed, I was just dragging, literally dragging my feet. Then uh, eyesight is a big one. My eyesight actually went out. It Everything got very fuzzy because the capillaries in your eyes are super small. And what happens when your sugars are high, your capilla- capillaries get shrink. And so it became very hard for me to see thirst excessive thirst is another one of your blood sugars are high you can't hold on to water so i was drinking a gallon of water peeing every 10 minutes and still needing more water that's a big one and i think those are the main three but the the exhaustion and the thirst are, are the biggest cues
0: those are excellent you know excellent opportunities for you to recognize that you might need to go get checked and and it's important, too, because it, you know, at a certain point, diabetes can be detrimental to your health in so many other ways. Not only can it kill you, I mean, ultimately, um, but I think people have lost toes and extremities and fingers and things like that because of it, correct?
1: Yeah, most people don't die of diabetes. They actually die of heart disease.
0: Heart disease. Oh.
1: But it's the same causes. So it's a high-fat, high-sugar diet. The fat will line the arteries. And so you end up with, a, with, with heart disease will get you first before diabetes will. Oh, I man. But it's all cool. diet related. And, and same causes. Related. Yeah. What? And then to answer your other question um, about what's the first thing they can do, if, if you're like ready to really make a change in your life, the best thing you could possibly do for yourself is, is go through a juice cleanse. If you can do a 10 day juice cleanse, you will clean out your system. And what happens is you reset your taste buds. And you you will clean out a lot of the excess fat and a lot of the, the chemicals, the toxicity that's built up in your body. And then when you do start eating every bite you take, you will know whether or not that is good or not good for your body because you'll, you get hypersensitive and then you can make much wiser food choices. But when you're loaded with toxicity, you can't tell it's like a smoker. They can smoke a pack a day. Well, they couldn't do that when they first started the first cigarette you take will put you on the floor, but then the body learns to build up this toxicity resistance and it can handle larger amounts of toxins so that you don't die right away. (laughs) Otherwise you would die. So juice cleanse, a detox is an incredible way to really jumpstart your healing and then create the in, you, you become more in tune with your body and you'll start to learn how to listen to the cues for your body or what's working, what's serving you, what is it?
0: Brilliant. Amazing. I always ask one more thing before you go. Wisdom, you may have just said it, but I'm still going to ask you. <laughs> how can somebody find you if they want some help?
1: Mm. So, Dr. Nikki Ciso at gmail.com is easy. Um, I have my website wakeupwithnicky.com. If you put forward slash diabetes, that will take you to the diabetes page. And then if you follow me on TikTok or Instagram, those I play, I post a lot of fun things, especially TikTok. I'll do it's uh, at Dr. Nikki underscore diabetes. I post a lot there for diabetics. On my Instagram, it's more for just general mindset insights, and that's at Dr. Nikki Ciso.
0: And your podcast can be heard on Sp- Apple and Spotify, and it's called Legends. Um, it's got a bright green uh, uh, artwork, so it's easier to locate. Uh, again, I want to thank you very much for sharing your journey with us, and for educating us and inspiring those individuals, I think, to kind of take a better look at themselves, and hopefully improve their lives from that perspective, and motivate them to make that change so um yeah thank you for being here
1: michael my pleasure thank you so much for having me i really appreciate you
0: now, i'm gonna ask that question just this, this is one more thing before we go so before we go do you have any words of wisdom
1: mm, yes be kind to yourself i think we are so quick to be judgmental and harsh and the the best thing you can do for your body and for yourself and for your mindset, for your life, for your happiness, is to just be kinder to yourself. Be a little more self-loving, give yourself grace. This human journey is challenging, especially with disease. But before that, it's a challenging experience. So be kind, be graceful. We're all gods in training. (laughs) Amazing, amazing and brilliant
0: (laughs) words of wisdom. Thank you very much. Again, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing everything with us, your wisdom and your journey. Uh, I look forward to another conversation next year, maybe. And uh, uh, so thank you.
1: Thank you. Ah, what a blessing. Thank you,
0: Michael. Thank you. Everyone out there that's listening and watching, uh, one more thing before you go from my perspective, have a great day, have a great week, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.